I'm Duncan McNichol. And I am Dominic Norberg. And this is an episode of Not Exactly Rocket Science. It is indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our podcast about uh, stuff we don't understand. And the main reason why we don't understand this stuff is because we've not worked in it for very long. I, I arguably still, in my case at least, um, the, I'm, I'm a physicist and I'm a, and I'm a chemist by training. And I'm an electrical engineer and computer scientist. And uh, we like to talk to people who do not do any of those things, um, generally biomedical things, um, but you know sometimes some social science. Uh, and today... Uh, we're talking to uh, Will Wood, who's a professor um, here at Edinburgh, um, in something, uh, but we should let him introduce himself. So I'm Will Wood, mm-hmm. and uh, I work here in the Centre for Inflammation at Little France. <laughs> the, the bi- are we calling it the Bioquarter call- now, the whole thing? Yeah, Edinburgh Bioquarter, exactly. Yeah, Purple like signs that. and everything. Yeah. Um, and you, what, what do you do here? So I run a research lab. So I'm a professor in repair and regeneration. Okay. And I run a research lab that's made up of, at the moment, seven people. Okay. A mixture of PhD students and postdocs and a lab manager. Right. Um, I feel like I, I, I want to jump in and say what a postdoc is because we've never mentioned postdocs before as, as far as I'm aware. Very true. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of say what you see a little bit. They're, they're people who have doctorates and have have finished doing the doctor bit and now they're post-doctoral research associates assistants seems post-doctoral to be researchers post-doctoral researchers I would, that's what i'd say okay um and they spend all yeah you're right so they've already done a phd so they should be good yep they should know what they're doing more or less <laughs> hopefully and they, they're they're in my lab have done some training a phd in a different lab mm-hmm. uh I think all of them actually have done training in a different city. Okay. Some in different country. And then they, they take on a postdoctoral position in my lab, which would be funded by some grant from some charitable organization. Um, and that will fund them for between three or five years, depending on the funding. Okay. Um, and so repair and regeneration is your title. It is. Well, I mean, that, that feels like it could be anything. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I'll, I'll fix yeah. your car and then I'll go on holiday. Yeah. Yeah, it's not quite like that. So I'm, so the main uh, interest of the lab is in understanding um, inflammatory cells, mm-hmm. inflammatory bu- uh, blood cells and their behavior in various contexts. Okay. We're particularly interested in how they move, how they migrate. So, um, inflammatory cells and the inflammatory. So, so if you get wounded, mm-hmm. right, you're, you raise an inflammatory response to that wound. So blood cells will then migrate into your wound site and carry out all sorts of important roles. Make sure you don't get infected, yep. engulf pathogens and bacteria and things like this, and, you know, and, and protect you and then secrete various signals to other tissues that are important for repair right. of that wound. So you need them there. You need inflammatory cells everywhere you get a wound because um, you die of septicemia every time you got wounded. You, you become massively infected. Great, yeah. No. So you need your inflammatory cells. You need, you need this inflammatory response. Problem is the inflammatory response can get a bit out of hand. So sometimes if the cells are hanging around for too long, then they start to become problematic and do more damage than good. Right. 
Um, and there are lots of diseases um, that have an inflammatory component to their pathology. So cancer, for example, um, you know, tumors will recruit inflammatory cells and, and hijack those cells for the good of the tumor. So inflammatory cells can be, they're quite plastic and they can do very good things generally, mm-hmm. but they can be steered towards behaving badly. Right. I'm interested in how they are changed. Okay. Depending on signals and, and various environments that they found themselves in previously. So when you say signals, I'm assuming you don't mean like semaphore and smoke signals. This would be chemical signaling? Chemical signaling, exactly. So one of the things we're interested in is what are the immediate signals that are produced when you wound um, uh, an animal or organism, or us, humans, um, that are then produced at the wound site and recruit the, the inflammatory cells to the wound. Right. So... What we found is that one important signal, actually, that's produced at wound sites is hydrogen peroxide. Okay. So that gets produced by cells that are at the leading edge of the, uh, the, the wound front, if you like. That's but hydrogen peroxide. That's a small bog-standard chemical, small yes. molecule. Small molecule that can diffuse very rapidly right. in tissue. Um, and that's produced by the cells that have been, or that are close to a, a cut, for example. Yeah, so in arm, yes, yes. So in, I should back up maybe and say <laughs> that we, instead of wounding humans, <laughs> which you can't do, um, because of ethics, because it's uh, ethically unsound, <laughs> um, we need a model organism to study this process. So we actually use a fruit fly. Okay. okay? Drosophila. Drosophila melanogaster. Yes. Because these guys are the genetic powerhouses of, of research, yeah. right? So they're, they're just like us, believe it or not. Okay. They, they are multicellular organisms. They're complex. They have different organs that do very similar functions to our organs. They're, they're patterned in the same way that we are during embryonic development. And, and, and pretty much all the normal biological processes that occur in us are, are occurring in flies, but we can get at the, the genetics that underpin those important biological behaviors because flies are kind of uh, a simple version of us genetically. Right. So we can meddle with the, the, the genetic um, makeup of these flies and generate, for example, a fly that lacks one gene that we think might be important in, our, in a process. Mm-hmm. And then um, we can then go and look at that process and see if that gene is indeed playing a role in that process. Okay. So we use flies for studying wound repair and inflammation. Mm-hmm. So we, we make wounds to fly embryos. Okay. The embryos themselves are half a millimeter long. So right. you can imagine the size of the wound has to be pretty small. In order to do that, we need these high-powered uh, 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 and very expensive microscopes. Yeah. And uh, ablation laser that's uh, plumbed into that microscope. How much of your use of fly embryos is because you want to play with these cool toys, if you're being honest? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. No, no, but I do okay. enjoy the cool toys. Okay. Just cause, like, cause <laughs> I, I'll be honest, a lot of the reason that I'm working in, in optics is because of the cool lasers. Uh, yeah, no, it's not that. Okay. No. I quite like the toys. What the, the the thing that really gets me? So, 
what we love doing and what I love doing is to watch biology happening live, okay. right? Because um, I don't believe anything until I see it. Like and it, we have sophisticated microscopes that allow us to, to make time-lapse movies um, of, well, anything we like, but in our lab, of the inflammatory response. So we make a wound using a high-powered laser, and then we take that um, fly embryo, mm-hmm. right, it's still alive and it's quite happy and it'll sit there on our microscope for hours in the right conditions and we can image it. So we can take uh, uh, an image every 30 seconds or a minute or whatever delay we want. And, and then, you know, when at the end of the, our imaging time, we can stitch those stills together and we've made this beautiful time-lapse movie. And then when we play it back, you can see cells moving and doing their thing. That is quite cool in their normal physiologically relevant setting in complex three-dimensional living organism. Yeah. And we can actually watch these, these cells migrating towards these damaged signals like hydrogen peroxide that produced at wounds. So are the, are those uh, embryos then like see-through that you can see the cells or, or how, no, does, how we, does it work? We use a bit of genetic trickery. So we will express um, often fluorescent proteins that are uh, not normally expressed in flies. In fact, they come from jellyfish, many of them, um, or at least uh, green fluorescent protein does. And and these fluorescent proteins, when you shine the light of a certain wavelength, they uh, bounce back a different wavelength. And we can collect those light um, waves with our sophisticated microscope. And so even though we've got an embryo that has lots of tissues and different kinds of cells, we can just express our fluorescent protein in our one cell that we're interested in. And in mm-hmm. my case, it's these blood cells, cells called macrophages. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we just label up those cells. So it's very easy when you're watching these movies to forget actually that they're migrating around in these very complex, they're surrounded by other tissues and other cells, but we're interested in just those cells and we can light them up really nicely. So, so you have to um, mess with the flies' genes a little bit to make those cells then produce those fluorescent proteins. Exactly. So we genetically engineer the flies such that we can introduce that GFP protein and we can control expression of where that protein is. So we'll, we'll, we'll generate a fly that then just expresses that, that uh, fluorescent protein in those inflammatory cells, those macrophages. And you do that here, or do you order them online, or how do you do that? Uh, so, like to, to me, yeah. it sounds um, like a complex thing to yeah. mess yeah. with the flies' genes. It, it's it's not that complex, and so to answer the question, we do it in house. Mm-hmm. Generally, if we want it fast, what you can do is to generate the 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 genetic material, and then you can send it away to companies that then just uh, inject that genetic material into embryos and hope for uh, uh, generating a transgenic fly. Mm-hmm. Because it takes time. You need your DNA that you're injecting to integrate into the DNA of the host fly. And that's often... Um, it's dictated largely by chance. So you need... 
you need to inject many to make sure that it's going to work well. Um, so we do it in-house and uh, it doesn't take that long. It, to, to generate knockout mice takes a long time in comparison. So that's one of the reasons why. So knockout means getting rid of a certain Getting gene. rid of a gene, yeah. And, but and, because, and you're but, adding a gene and that's much easier then. Uh, the, 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 no, the, the two are kind of similar, right? Okay. You know, the, the techniques of whereby we, we change the genetic makeup of the fly are largely the same. Okay. But it's, but flies it's mu- versus mice. Yeah. In flies, it's much, much quicker. It's much, much easier to generate a, a, a knockout fly, a mutant fly. And of course, their generation time is very, mm. very short. So for doing, crosses genetic crosses and design genetic crosses um it's it, the whole process is much quicker because you go from uh, uh an embryo that's laid to a uh, an adult that can then mate is 10 days yeah so the generation time is very very short and it's you know it, it, that makes it a fantastic model system for doing genetics um so i have two questions and unsurprisingly given that i uh, I'm a chemist. Um, they're both about hydrogen peroxide. Um, so the first one is from being from teaching chemistry. I'm aware that hydrogen peroxide breaks down very well. To me, it seems very rapidly. I guess maybe if you're taking videos and it's being generated in, a, in an animal, then that's maybe not a problem. But certainly, we would have problems where if you buy hydrogen peroxide at the beginning of the year and then try and use it at the end of the year, it's not the same concentration as it was when you bought it. Um, cause it just breaks down. So the first question is, is that a problem? And the second question is, if you're able to watch these cells moving under the microscope, but what you're interested in is the chemical signaling, do you have a way of looking at the chemicals as well? Like, can you see the hydrogen peroxide or is that, how do you deal with that? So the first question, the, the fast breakdown is, is not a problem. Right. Because. Um, the response we're looking at is so fast. Okay. So this is the immediate response of the, of the immune cells, the inflammatory cells, macrophages mm-hmm. to the wound. And in flies, that's happening within uh, minutes of okay. wounding. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but it's an interesting question because it, it yeah, it, it degrades very fast. So it's in, in many ways a very good signal to produce very fast, mm. a damage signal. It, it, it will diffuse very rapidly and then degrade. Yeah. Um, in fact, what we think now, so having told you that it's an important damage signal that's recruiting those inflammatory cells to the wound, we actually think now what it's doing, so we used to think that, but now we've got some, um, new results that were published a while ago. And, and what we think now is that it's, it's operating as more of a sort of activation signal. So it gets, um, Produced upon wounding, very rapidly diffuses out, gets detected by, uh, um, well, we don't actually know how it gets detected, but we do know it activates a signaling pathway within those in responding inflammatory cells. Um, and then that triggers an activation of a, of a receptor, which is a protein that sits in the membrane of the responding macrophage. Mm-hmm. And, and that signaling pathway and the activation of that receptor is critical for responding to the wound. So if you get rid of any of that machinery, the, the cell can't respond to the wound anymore. Um, this, the, the mystery remains 
And what we're really trying to find out now is what the other, what the signal that that receptor is actually detecting. So you have a first signal, hydrogen peroxide. We think it activates the cell, puts it on high alert, but it's actually this uh, a mystery second signal that's coming that the cell is actually responding to. Okay. So you need this sort of two signal system, and the the second signal we know comes a bit slower, takes a bit longer, right? But we don't know what it is. So we're working on that. Do you have like an idea? Do you think it's another chemical or is it like a small molecule like hydrogen peroxide or is it something bigger or we is think it it's bigger electrical signal? Or like how, how can I imagine? We think it's bigger. And so it, it could be a protein that's redu- released from damaged cells. Um, the reason we think it's bigger is because we've made many, many movies of Macrophages responding to a wound. And we have software that allows us to track those cells. Okay. So if we make lots and lots of movies of lots and lots of embryos, and again, the fly is very good for that because you can generate lots of embryos very rapidly. And you track and you make wounds and you, and you reproducibly track all the cells that are responding. Um, and you, you, you use mathematical modeling to study the directionality of those cells, how they're responding, how quickly they respond. Then you can infer them from that information, how fast whatever the signal they're responding to is diffusing away from the wound, because you're looking at the reaction of the cells. Yeah. So you kind of can so see f- them joke a little bit as soon as something happens you see them move they start to move okay so you if you can imagine you you know what you'll what you'll see is that the cells closest to the wound will respond first yeah and then the cells a little further out will respond next and then you know further and further uh, uh, until um they don't respond anymore like a laser it's like dropping a stone in a pond and it kind of ripples out exactly so we want to know how far the ripples go and we want to know how fast the ripples go and from just looking at the responders, you can you you can calculate those things using maths. So we do know how fast that signal, even though we don't know what it is, we know how fast it's traveling. We know how far it can reach. And from that, we can infer what the size of that thing might be. Because hydrogen peroxide moves faster than the ripples. Exactly. So, so that, something else is missing until the response comes. Yes. So hydrogen peroxide is too fast. So we think it's an activation signal and we've using fly genetics, we've dissected out the signaling that's operating in the macrophage, the immune cell, upon detection of hydrogen peroxide. We're now trying to work out what this second signal is that it's responding to because we think that's the real damage signal actually. So do you, I, I don't, you do all of this work in the embryos. You don't use... Like so, when you say you know you look at how it reacts to hydrogen peroxide, there's a bit of me that's like, well, surely it would be easier to just get the cells and put some hydrogen peroxide on them and see. But I guess yeah, that I guess there's there's a big difference between cells that you've taken out of an animal and cells that are still in it, though. Maybe yeah. So that so yeah, what you describe there is a is a brilliant reductionist approach, right? And and lots of people use that approach. Um, and look at cells in culture in a dish, right? And, you know, a lot of what we know about how cells move, the machinery that they use to move, comes from studies, uh, cell culture studies, of looking at cells migrating in a dish. In exactly the same way that you just described. You take the cells out and you put them in and they're happy and then you look at them and you can 
and it's great. You can put in all sorts of chemicals and mm. see how that affects their ability to migrate. And you can use drugs to, um, you know, take out certain signaling pathways or bits, you know, um, important proteins within the cell. But, and again, this is one of the strengths of our system is that when you take cells out of their normal environment, just as you said, you lose a huge mm. amount of the signals that they're exposed to yeah. in their normal environment. So you you simplify things and you use this reductionist approach. It can be great, mm. but in reality, these cells are operating in a much more complicated environment. So we prefer to look in vivo and leave the cells in their normal environment so that we can dissect out what's going on yeah. with the ultimate aim, you know, to help come up with new therapeutic ways in which we can modulate our own inflammatory cells in our own bodies, which of course are even more complicated than a fly. Yeah. So if you're looking at signals that are emitted um, or that are expressed in response to wounds, does that mean that you're also, or that your your main interest is not only in the signals, but in diseases where there's like a reduced response to injury, for example. Like, where, where are you, where are you coming from for this research? Yeah, so lot, there are huge numbers of human diseases, right, that have, as I said earlier, um, uh, immune dysfunction or inflammatory dysfunction as part of their pathology. So often we might want to come up with ways in which we could take, we can manipulate the decision-making ability of immune cells, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you think about our immune cells, just like a fly's immune cells, they live in a very complex environment and they're bombarded by signals that may be telling them to do very different things, right? Um, now we don't know much about how immune cells are able to integrate and prioritize different signals in in their normal setting in vivo. And that's really important from a disease point of view because if um, cells are unable to prioritize, then they'll, they'll, they'll never move. You know, they'll just be stuck because they won't know whether to go to this signal over here or this signal over here. Often in human disease, they've decided to migrate in or they've been attracted into a point of uh, disease pathology or, or, or damage. They've carried out their helpful role and then they hang around and start causing problems. Mm. If we could get those cells out and get them to move away to resolve that inflammatory response and to move to other places, then, you know, we would, uh, we would help the pathology of that disease and there are many many diseases that we could you know help in this way by modulating the inflammatory response that sounds like so again there's like like a big tree of different things that you could then research so on the one hand there's the priority of where do you where does a cell go but then is it also a priority of how it responds as in um I think I've I've heard in talks that macrophages, for example, they can they can be pro-inflammatory or pro-resolving something something down those lines. So and that they, um, I think they use the word like different pro-inflammatory inflammatory phenotypes and and pro or 
what's the word? Um, yeah, resolving phenotypes so that they kind of not only prioritize movement, but also action. Yeah, so um, there's more and more evidence now that macrophages are very plastic cells. And just as you say, they can be either pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. They can be disease-causing or disease-resolving, you know. And um, one of the things we're very interested in understanding is how that comes about. So how, for example, so we're interested in how those macrophages are able to integrate and prioritize different signals at any one time. But then we're also very interested in understanding how um, the ability to respond to one signal might be changed by um, exposure to a, 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 a previous signal. Right. So in other ways, in, a, or in other words, can our macrophage, our inflammatory cell, build a memory of a previous event that then changes its ability to respond to a subsequent event? And it could be that that previous event changes a cell from being uh, uh, an inflammatory macrophage to a more anti-inflammatory resolving macrophage, or vice versa. So it's an important thing to understand how how uh, exposure to one signal might change the identity of a macrophage such that it then uh, behaves in a different way in a different setting and has an, a, a changed ability to respond to a different signal. And we found that, in fact, in... A, in, quite recently, we found, for example, that when a macrophage in a fly comes across an apoptotic corpse, which is a, a dead cell, a cell that's committed suicide, mm-hmm. one of the macrophage's jobs is to clear that cell up, engulf it and get rid of it. And what we found is that, in fact, macrophages have to do that in order to then be able to respond to damage-induced signals like hydrogen peroxide. So if you block the ability of a macrophage in the fly to detect or engulf a a dead cell, and then you make a wound, it doesn't see the wound anymore. It can't see it because it hasn't been primed by by apoptosis, by the signal one. So there's like a training stage. Yeah, well, well, what it shows is that... Level one, deal deal with the easy target, the dead cells. Right. (laughs) Level two. You progress to a wound. (laughs) Exactly. But it's, um, I mean, what it tells us is that, yeah, exposure to one signal profoundly changes the, the, the cell in, to such an extent that it now can either respond to a wound or not. So it can build a memory of that event. And that, that's a, that's a big deal because, um, we have two types of immunity in us. We have innate immunity and adaptive immunity. And, um, Adaptive immunity is was always thought of as the arm of our immune defense that builds memory, mm-hmm. you know, antibody production and such like. So that's what me, makes our second response to any um, infection better than the first one. So that's, that's that, what vaccines That's why about. vaccines work, yeah. yes. That's our adaptive immune response. <clears throat> Invertebrates don't have adaptive immunity. They just have innate immunity. Right. So there are a lot of things that live on this planet absolutely fine without an adaptive immune system. So as soon as they encounter something that they don't know, that they've never been primed for innately, yeah. they're, that's it. That's it. No, they just launch the same response, right? Okay. So they don't have a learnt uh, 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 memory 
Right. So they don't reactivate a, a more robust second response. That, okay. that, that, okay, that okay, at least okay. is the theory. Mm-hmm. But it turns out now, we've shown that actually these innate immune cells from the fly can actually build a memory. Right. You know, individually, yeah. they will build a memory. They will remember that they've eaten an apoptotic corpse. And that then allows them to change their behavior and become able to mm. respond to a wound. So you can see that you can manipulate the ability of these cells to respond to different signals just by changing what they may have encountered previously, right? So if you can, you can imagine then if we can harness the the signaling that underpins this, and and, and that's what flies great for, Hmm. then we can come up with smart therapeutic ways in which we might be able to manipulate the the decision making ability of, of, of our own inflammatory cells. And, and pull them out of places where they're doing damage and send them into places where they're needed. Right. It must be a bit confusing at first. Like if if you have all your green fluorescent macrophages and then there's a wound and then some of those macrophages go for it and others don't respond because they've not eaten those apoptotic cells before. And you're like, well, why those? Why not these? And I guess that's that's probably the, the, the problem of... Um, I think uh, that, this complex model of using a whole animal that, yeah, you just get the entire picture but understand just a, sm- a fraction yes. of it. Yeah. Right. It could be, it, it could be that that particular cell is, is busy, uh, eating an apoptotic corpse or something, right? And so it, 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 it uh, that, it, it designates that more of a priority than the wounded, the, the wounded juice hydrogen peroxide signal. Or the, this unknown signal that we don't know what it is yet. Um, that's telling them to come and migrate to the wound, but they're busy having a meal over here eating this apoptotic corpse. So, so in biology, you, you're not surprised when you don't have a hundred percent response from like every cell that you're targeting. I was about to say, I think biology is quite a lot more statistical than, than physics and, and yeah. Like, I th- so we're, we're used to everything. Like every time you do the same thing, you get the same result. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when in physics, when you do the same thing and you don't get the same result, you go, oh my God, it's quantum. Give it to someone else. <laughs> Mathematicians <laughs> can deal with this. That's awful. No, we, but, but, but then we're, we're not so black and white. It's all a bit colorful <laughs> yeah. in, in biology because yeah. there are many, many variables that we, we, of course, we try and control for as many variables as we can. We mm-hmm. do the experiments at the same temperature, we time the embryos at the same stage of development. You know, we, we control for genetic background. They're as tightly controlled. We, we control for every variable we can, but there are variables we don't understand. Yeah. Like other signals that we don't know about that these cells are, uh, are being exposed to. And maybe some are being exposed and others aren't. And until we discovered this priming phenomenon, well, you know, you would make a wound and you'd wonder why this cell over here isn't responding very well. Well, it probably hasn't eaten an apoptotic corpse yet. And, and yeah become primed so will is interested in how the immune system responds to wounds for example or something that the body doesn't like if you so want um some insult and an important part of how the body reacts to wounds is with these immune cells called macrophages and um they have to migrate towards wounds and so one way of researching that is to wound fruit fly uh, embryos with lasers. So I basically imagine them lying there under the microscope and seeing this big 
um, microscope objective come over them like the Death Star and pew, there's a little laser that wounds them a little bit. And before they've been put under this microscope, uh, they've been genetically modified so that their macrophages fluoresce in green. So you know exactly that the little green spots that are moving around under the microscope, those are the cells that you're interested in, in and nothing else. And um, will researchers, yeah, how do they even get the idea, something's going on, I have to go there? Um, so he researches the cell signaling, or the, um, yeah, the signals that trigger that response and the migration. And um, he knows there's one, um, there's one signal, um, that's very important, which is hydrogen peroxide. But it turns out that there are, there's at least one more, and that's the mystery that he's trying to solve. As I said, pretty good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not not a dead loss. No, <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, well, thank you very much um, for joining us. Thanks. Thank really, you. really enjoyed this chat. <laughs> um, that was good fun. It was. <clears throat> uh, he's he's, uh, he's got good chat. Well. Um, yeah, and he does he does some interesting stuff. I think uh, he reinforced uh, an idea that I've had before, and I think I've maybe expressed before, and then edited out of the podcast um, about how uh, what what we do up at the sort of more physical end of of science uh, is very rigorous, but uh, we deal with relatively simple systems, uh, whereas at the other end it seems a bit more sort of floaty and and involves statistical methods and that kind of thing but it's because they you know the modeling incredibly complex things and in will's case not even modeling incredibly complex things literally looking at them under a microscope (laughs) (laughs) although maybe you're doing physics injustice it's not necessarily that it's simple it's just maybe more controllable in many cases yeah i guess and i think I, i i'd argue it is more simple we understand more of what's going on we understand more of the things that will affect the outcome which seems to be a real issue with especially with Will's in vivo stuff. Mm. If you want more opinions like that, um, then you should uh, go to our website, not exactly rocketscience.fm. You should uh, look on our Twitter at exactly rocket. You should basically, you should just listen to the podcast. Just keep listening. guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you enjoy it, listen to it. Yeah. Um, if you bump into us, talk to us. Oh, definitely. Because, because we edit a lot of stuff out of the podcast. Yeah. So like the really, wacky conversations you probably won't find on not exactly rocket science.fm <laughs> <laughs>